We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So if you didn't know, today is Pentecost Sunday. And so what that is, is traditionally a day, a part of the year where the church will honor, remember, celebrate, rejoice in the day that the Spirit of God came upon the followers of Jesus. So we have been going through the book, the book of Acts, and so that's really appropriate for us. Uh, we, we just recently heard that story, right? Uh, but we're continuing to hear the story of how the Spirit of God is working through everyday, normal men and women and children, just like the people in this room. The Spirit of God powerfully working through normal people who are afraid and running from suffering and loss until the Spirit of God came upon them. And then they, with bravery, go out and start sharing good news, even at the expense sometimes of their own lives certainly at the expense of their own comfort. But with the power of God moving through them, the community around them starts to become transformed. And so that's what we are honoring and celebrating in that. And today we're continuing that story. As we've seen in Acts 2, when the Spirit came upon them, we saw how God started working through normal people in Jerusalem near the temple, and then how they got dispersed, right? They suddenly persecution started coming upon them and they scattered They started moving out. And so then we heard uh, last time we got together about one of these men who was scattered, how he went out and he started sharing the good news with people in Samaria, a village where a town where there were people who usually the Jewish people would have hated. They would have had a huge divide between them. It would have been like sons and mavericks, right? Maybe worse, like Democrats and Republicans. Maybe even worse than that, actually. They hated each other. And yet, the Spirit of God compels these people to move toward their enemy and bring love and bring good news and call them to repentance, to turn away from their old ways of life and to come toward Jesus and follow him. And they start to unite together as one family through the Spirit of God. And so we heard some of that story last time and we're continuing that story now. So turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And this is a continuation of the story of Philip, who was, there was a a disciple of Jesus named Philip, but many people believe this was a different Philip. This was the Philip who was chosen to serve at the tables along with Stephen, who ended up being killed when the persecution started. And so most likely a Greek man who converted to following Jesus wasn't necessarily a Jewish man who was following the God of Israel his whole life. Converted to following Jesus And uh, he had now gone and was bringing good news uh, in this town in Samaria. And we heard about this whole interaction with a guy named Simon who was into sorcery and all that. And the power of God was more powerful than that. But now he's he's going away. He's leaving that town. And we're going to hear another one of his adventures right here. So we're going to pick up in verse 26, chapter 8. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up. And go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. 
He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear and receive and be transformed by your word this morning. Spirit, be here with us in this place. Just as you came upon the early church, just as you have continued to work through your people throughout centuries. Be with us, even us here and now. God, not just so that we would learn something new, not just so that we would come away with uh, a deeper sense of trusting in our heads and in our hearts, but so that we would be transformed and sent out for your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever fallen asleep while you're driving? Be honest. All right. Cool. More of you were willing to be honest about that than I expected. I'm sure there's more of you out there as well. I remember one time, this was years ago before Bethany and I got married, that I was driving on my way to work and then I got a phone call and I looked down and it was Cameron, my sister-in-law. She wasn't my sister-in-law yet. She's Bethany's sister. And I was like, that's really weird. Why would she be calling me? She doesn't call me. Something terrible must have happened was like the first thing my mind went to. So I answer the phone. I'm like, hey. She goes, you know, it's not really safe to drive with your eyes closed. She had been driving past me, and she saw me like this at the wheel. I don't do that anymore. For whatever reason, I don't know. God has, has redeemed me from that. But I used to have a huge problem. Like, I actually went and got sleep tests and studies done. I was afraid I had narcolepsy. But I used to fall asleep at the wheel a lot. If you can't relate to that, I'm sure you can relate to this. You're driving, and you kind of, like, get in your head thinking about something, and suddenly you're home, and you don't remember how you got there. Does anybody... Be honest about this one. You, you relate, right? You ever like, wait a second, how did I get from point A to point B? I have no memory of stopping at that light, turning there, coming around this corner ever. Well, that's not exactly what happened to Philip, uh, but Philip was actually like, he had no memory of traveling from 
Samaria to uh, the other translation for Azotus is Ashdod because the spirit actually took him and moved him from point A to point B. Like, I just want to start there at the last thing we read and go, this is what we're dealing with right now. This is the story we're entering into right now is there is a powerful movement of the spirit happening in ordinary people in their everyday life. It's crazy to think about. Like none of us have ever had the powers of teleportation, right? We've never experienced that before. And so this seems so foreign to us and so like out of context for us that it might even be difficult to read the story and go like, how am I a part of this story? But the same God and the same spirit who was at work in Philip then is the same God today, is the same spirit in this room with us now, is the same spirit who desires to work through us today. And it may manifest in a completely different way, the way he works through us. And it may not be teleportation. You may not wake up next moment and you're in Yuma for some reason, you know, because people need Jesus in Yuma, I guess. But God wants to work through you. The spirit of God is still here and active and alive. And he still wants to work through us today. We see that even at the beginning when we're told that a messenger from God comes to Philip and says, hey, you see that chariot traveling over there? Right? We're told that this Ethiopian man was in a chariot on his way home. So it's a moving chariot. And we're told, hey, go catch up with that chariot. Go catch up with the chariot and just see what's going on, right? Now, there's another story uh, in 1 Kings 18, where the prophet Elijah tells King Ahab to go somewhere and he gets in his chariot and goes. And then it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah. So he hikes up his cloak and he takes off running and he beats King Ahab's chariot. Why? Because it says the power of the Lord came upon him. We're being reminded, this is like a callback right now, where the same power of the same God in the Old Testament is now at work in the New Testament in Philip, where he can run up to this chariot. And this is the scene. He doesn't just walk up to him. He's like, hey, I hear you're reading. No, no. He's like, hey, bro. What are you listening to in that car right there? Like, that's the scene, right? You're bumping some music in that car. Like, what, what is that you're listening to? Imagine trying to keep up with the car while you're doing that. That's what, the, that's what this would have been like. He's running along a chariot pulled by horses. And he goes, I hear you're, you're reading the scriptures, the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? And it's not until after that question where he's finally like, you know what? Hold on, slow down. Hop on in. Like, that's the scene. Let's not miss that. The spirit of God, the same spirit moving in 1 Kings 18 is the same spirit moving in Acts chapter 8 is the same spirit still today. I don't know if you're going to outrun a car either, but the mission is the same. And he wants to work through his people to accomplish the same mission. Do we trust that the spirit can do things through us that we can't do on our own? So then they slow down, right? And he's like, no, I don't understand. First of all, I love that he could hear what he was reading because that's how they did it back then. He was reading it out loud. 
Like that's just a super side note, mini sermon, like reading the scripture out loud is a really good practice. We should, we should start practicing that, engage with that. So he's there reading it out loud. It wasn't just this thing in his head. We're not just brains on sticks, right? Like full embodiment people experiencing it. Like the way that the old Jerusalem people would, would have prayed would have been more of an experiential thing with their body. Anyway, side mini sermon is done. Okay. He's reading out loud. He hears him. What is that? And he goes, I, yeah, I really don't know. How am I supposed to know if I don't have anyone teaching me? If I don't have anyone to guide me? And let's, let's look at that for a moment. There's a huge reason why this man would have had nobody to guide him through what the Hebrew scriptures meant. Any guesses as to why? He wasn't a Jewish person, right? He was from Ethiopia. He was an Ethiopian man. So this is an African man. He didn't grow up in the Torah. He didn't grow up hearing the scriptures. Somehow, somehow, and I want to say that this is the same way that somehow Philip was able to run up to a chariot. Somehow, those scriptures found their way to him because the spirit was opening up. The movement of the spirit was coming over the earth so that other people could be invited into this family. The same way that Samaritan village had heard the news that they can now be one family with these Hebrew people. Now a man from Ethiopia is hearing good news. So somehow he he gets a hold of these scriptures. Somehow he knows there's something really important about them because he had traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to go to the temple. Now, if you don't know, if you just do a quick Google map, put it in your map on your phone, that's like if you were to drive for four straight days without stopping. No bathroom breaks, no 7-Eleven stops, no rest areas. Four straight days of driving a car, not a chariot. He had come a long way to go worship this God of Israel that he had not been raised to follow. Something had captured his heart, and yet he didn't understand it fully. And what's even more crazy about this, and why another reason, other than being an Ethiopian, why he would not have had anyone to guide him through it up till this point, is his status even in Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. Now, without going into way too much detail, I'm going to explain a little bit of what that would have meant to be a eunuch. Don't Google search it. Stay, stay off Google images when you do, okay? Uh, but read the scriptures. <laughs> what a eunuch was, was someone who held a very high official status in the kingdom. He held high court. So he was a high official. We're told in this that he actually was in charge of all the treasury of Queen Candace of Ethiopia. He ran all her books for her. This dude was a big deal. But there was usually a price he would pay to get to that status to get to that position of authority within a kingdom if you were not royal. And that price was becoming a eunuch. And what they would do is they would castrate the men so that they could not have babies with the royal family because they wanted to keep the bloodline pure. So if we just remove the physical possibility of you sleeping with anyone in our family, then you can come and you can sit in our inner courts and you can enjoy the high life with us. You could basically become one of us. You just can't procreate. 
Now, there's a verse. It's actually Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. I have a very close relationship with this verse because I exist today because of it. Uh, it's, it's a verse that says, and I'm going to quote the King James Version because it's a little more palatable with kids in this room. It says, any man with damaged stones is not able to enter into the assembly of the Lord. And my dad read that after having a couple kids. He had had two boys and he decided, that's it, we only want two. And he was going to get a vasectomy. And he read that, he came across that, and he was like, what does this mean? And he went to his pastor and was like, what does this mean? And his pastor was like, I don't know, I've never seen that before. But, you know, go pray about it. (laughs) And so my dad came up with the conclusion that he should not have a vasectomy, and I'm here today because of it. (laughs) So you can clap for that one, by the way. So here I am, right? Uh, He ended up later, like, getting a better understanding of that. But his misunderstanding of that text is the reason I'm here today, so I'm thankful that it's there. But the Jewish people, they had a completely different misunderstanding of that text that didn't lead to life for many people. You see, what they would have done because of that is said anybody who is in the position of a eunuch, they're outcasts. They don't belong. They will never be part of the family of God. And he certainly would not have been allowed into the temple that he had traveled thousands and thousands of miles to go worship at. First of all, as an Ethiopian man, he couldn't have gone in. Second of all, as a eunuch. Now, I don't know if he didn't understand that before he got there and he got there and felt defeated and turned away, or if he was just like, it's okay, I'll just go to the outside of the temple and worship. But either way, I know for a fact he would not have been welcomed inside. But the Spirit of God didn't need that Ethiopian man to come to him. The Spirit of God was moving toward that man in miraculous ways. Because that misunderstanding of that text, God had actually already spoken to. I have this on the screen in Isaiah, the very scroll that he was reading. We're told he's reading that what's quoted there, he's reading from Isaiah 53. If he goes three more chapters over to Isaiah 56, this is incredible that he got the scroll of Isaiah in his hand because it talks about him. In Isaiah 56, verses three and four, this is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah. And he says this, God's words, no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should ever say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree, which means I I can't have offspring. I can't produce. For the Lord says this, For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls. Remember, a man not allowed in the temple. In my house and in my walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. This is such good news for that man. You see, what what the Jewish people would have believed is because of that great uh, creational mandate given at the beginning in the garden to be fruitful and multiply, spoken again to Noah after the days of the flood, right? spoken again to the Israelite people in the days of Moses to be fruitful and multiply. 
And they're waiting one day for this Messiah rescuing Savior to come. And they're told, they're promised, even through the prophet Isaiah, as well as many others, that it would come through their lineage. It would come through their offspring. There would have been great honor in being an Israelite person who produced children. What's, what's the one proverb or is it a psalm that says a quiver full of arrows, right? It's like a man who has many kids is like a quiver full of arrows. Like this, there would have been great honor in an honor shame culture if you could have more kids because you, you are helping us get toward this creational mandate of being fruitful and multiplying and one day seeing the Messiah rescuing Savior come. But if you can't have kids, you're on the other end of that honor shame culture. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't let anyone say that. Don't say that about yourself. Whether you can have kids or not, God says, if you keep my covenant, if you keep in relationship with me, if you hold to this partnership that I created for God and man to have, I'll give you something far better than a name for yourself. You see, they they would have been afraid. My name's not gonna carry on because I have no sons to continue that. God says, I will give you something better. You will have an everlasting name and it will be within my walls, within my home, within my kingdom. I'll give you something better than having sons and daughters. I'll make you a son. I'll make you a daughter. This is good news. Such good news that this man has the book, the scroll of Isaiah in his hands. And he hasn't even gotten to that part yet though. He hasn't even gotten to that part. Now, the spirit of God shows up. He brings this man, Philip, and he hears something earlier happening in Isaiah 53, which we'll talk about in a moment. And he starts speaking the good news of Jesus to him, beginning with that scripture. So the the word of God and the spirit of God was moving even before he got there. But how amazing is that, that he would have continued after Philip was sucked away into the air, like teleported, disappeared, could you, like, he goes under the water, he comes up, and Philip's just gone. Like, what in the world? But he would have continued reading in that scroll on his way home and found those words we just read. So good. Jesus also had some things to say about uh, people who had become eunuchs. It's actually in Matthew 19. I have that on the screen, too. In Matthew 19. Now, let me, let me set up the context here real quick before we read these words from Jesus. Jesus is having a conversation with people about divorce. And they're talking about, hey, isn't it okay to divorce? Because in the law of Moses, and Jesus tells them, Moses put that there because you guys were not being faithful, right? You were sinning. And what would happen in that context is if you divorced a woman, uh, like if you just left her, which is what they were doing, they weren't actually legally divorcing, they were just leaving them when they got tired of them and took on another wife. This woman was left to fend for herself because legally she was married and your husband's supposed to care for you. And she could not go find another man who would care for her. And they were not allowed to uh, be educated and get work themselves in the same ways that men were afforded to. And so there was something permitted to say, if you're going to do that, at least give them a divorce decree which then they would have these papers to say, hey, my husband divorced me, I'm not at fault, and they could go find another man. 
right? So it, was, it wasn't the way it was meant to be, Jesus says, but because of your sin, there was this allowance given in order to protect other people. And their response is this, and this isn't the response from the religious people who are asking Jesus the question about divorce. Jesus's own disciples, if I were to back that up one verse, in verse 10, his disciples say, if that's the way it is, it's just better not to marry. Think about what they're saying for a moment. If, if that's the way it is, like we can't just like marry and then leave them when we're sick of them, it's just better not to even marry. Like don't even bother. Like that's, that's the waters that they're swimming in. That's the culture Jesus enters into. Those are the men he chose to follow him, but they're also the men he transformed and the spirit made completely new people later. And in that context, Jesus says this. After his disciples, oh, I did have verse 10 on there. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Jesus responds, not everyone can accept this saying. Like not everyone's gonna get what I'm about to say, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. I want to talk about those three examples he just gave there in a moment, but really quick, what I want to point out is this, his response to, and again, this is a side mini sermon, his response to, oh, if that's what you think marriage is, is to fulfill your needs and dump it when you're done. Let me tell you, there's these people you look down on actually are doing this for the kingdom of heaven. They're far better off than you. The thing that you think is making you, giving you honor of building a family, these people who can't have a family, what actually gives them honor is following me, following the kingdom of heaven. But he gives three examples of how that happens in their culture. Some eunuchs are born eunuchs. That's a weird one, right? Some eunuchs are born eunuchs. Some are made that way. That's probably talking about like when they're high officials in a royal family, like we examined earlier. And it's like, hey, you want this role? Here's what's happening. But he says, and some choose it for the kingdom of heaven. It's very possible Jesus isn't just talking about physically becoming a eunuch in that moment, but he's saying there are some who deny that part of their freedom in order to follow the kingdom of heaven. There's some who will say, you know what? That, I'm, that's not where I find my honor. I find it in the kingdom of God. And likely they're reflecting on verses like Isaiah 56. And they're going, man, God will give me something better than a name for myself. Now listen, there are some people born in our day and age without the ability to procreate, right? There are some who are born quite literally like a eunuch where you don't know if it's male or female. It's a very small population, but actually it's almost the same percentage as people born redhead. So so that's a reality. And they, they may look like a male in many ways, but in other ways you don't see physically. I'm not talking about just gender identity even right now. I'm talking about physically. But then, I mean, could you imagine that? Like, there's a real example of gender identity confusion. 
how in the world would you know what you're supposed to be? What this is saying here is that is not your identity anyway. That's what this is saying. Paul writes this in Romans, there is not male or female. And he's not talking about your physiological makeup. He's saying your identity first and foremost is found in having a name in the kingdom of God. This is your identity. And this is the good news that's being spoken to this eunuch, this Ethiopian man who has felt shamed likely his whole life, who has felt shamed likely for his position, even though it's a high position. He's enjoying wealth and comfort, but people do not look at him with high regard. And now there's this invitation that you can come and be seen and welcomed in to the kingdom of God. And you can be part of having this name, the family of God. What the spirit's doing here is he's building a family. The eunuch didn't have to build a family for himself. He got welcomed into a better family. Philip, he, as he's speaking this good news to this man, He's experiencing, he's get, he gets to be part of this better family. A man he would not have probably even spoken to before has now become his brother. You see all the implications that this has for us, don't you? You don't build a name for yourself. And on the day of Pentecost, we have to revisit what happened, right? Earlier on in Acts. That as, as if you were with us that week, we talked about when the spirit came upon them, And suddenly every different language was hearing one message of good news. It was a reversal of what happened in the Tower of Babel. When they were all spoke one language and they're trying to build a name for themselves and God dispersed them and scattered them. It's a constant thread. It's a continual story that we don't go and build a name for ourselves. And it doesn't matter what shame has been brought on you in our culture before today, and it doesn't matter what honor you think you've built for yourself. All of that is nothing. Don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree. And don't let the other person say, man, look how amazing I am. But those who keep covenant with God are welcomed into his walls and will have a name and will be sons and daughters. So he's reading Isaiah 53, and we'll end with this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And his question is, who is he talking about? Himself, someone else. And it's very possible that as a eunuch man, he could have heard these words and saw himself in it. Led to the sheep like a slaughter, a lamb silent before its shear. He probably, in the face of the royal officials, did not have much of a choice. Yes, the trade was comfort, wealth, but he likely was chosen for that position. Didn't have much to say that would be a defense against it. And his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? There's two possible readings of that. One is either like his generation didn't really think much of him, which would have been true for this man too, but also like he may not have had 
a generation to come after him because his lineage was cut off. For his life is taken from the earth or from the land of the living. And for that man, it could have been like, my, I, I don't have a life anymore because having offspring, having children was how your life continued on in their ancient Near Eastern thought. And in all of that, Philip says, no, 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 he's not talking about himself. He's not talking about you. Yes, he's talking about someone else, someone far greater, someone far different, but who shared in all the brokenness and all the pain that you experience, that Jesus was silent as he was led to his own slaughter, that Jesus walked around this world as a poor homeless man who was often humiliated, who was stripped naked and mocked his humiliation that brought no justice. And Jesus did not procreate in this honor-shame culture where that's how you would have found honor. Jesus had no children. Jesus did not marry. Jesus, in a sense, you could say, made himself like the eunuch in order to rescue the eunuch so that the words of Isaiah could become true for him. That is how those words become true. Written long ago in the scroll of Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus shows up and Jesus makes it so. The promise of the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus who makes it so, who says, wait here, the father's sending the promise. He is sending the helper. The reason you and I are here in this building this morning is because Jesus has made it so. And the movement of the spirit has continued from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. And they would have thought Ethiopia was the ends of the earth for them at that time. But guess what, Phoenix? We're even further. And the movement of the spirit is still at work today. And it was Jesus's sacrifice that made it so. And so we're gonna go to the table and we're gonna remember Jesus's sacrifice. We're gonna remember that we now have access to the spirit of God who can maybe make you run up to a chariot or teleport, but more than likely it's gonna fill you with love and patience and gentleness and self-control so that you can move out into this world being bringers of good news like Philip was.